welcome back to the Cory Doctorow podcast. I actually just recorded an amazing introduction for this week's podcast and then realized I had forgotten to turn off the dryer and there was a lot of noise in the background. If you ever doubt that stimulus regresses to the mean and that even very intrusive stimulus can become invisible with repetition, let that dryer be a lesson to you. I am going to be giving a live cast this week, June the 8th, to the OpenJS World Conference in Austin. I will not be doing the keynote that I'd originally planned to do because I can't be there in person for a very nice reason. I'm getting my immigration interview on June the 8th to become a U.S. citizen. They may also actually make me a U.S. citizen on June the 8th. Everything's going very quickly right now. They're not doing the big swearings in in stadiums or anymore because of COVID. So they often, if you pass your interview, just swear you in on the spot. The problem with that is that I'm pretty much immediately getting on an airplane to fly to London, where I'm going to be on a panel at the UK Competition and Markets Authority Data Technology and Analytics Conference. And the thing is, they cancel your green card when you become a citizen. And once you're a U.S. citizen, you can't get back into the U.S. without your U.S. passport. So ideally, what will happen is I will go on June the 8th after my speech for OpenJS World, have my interview, pass my interview, and then have them agree that I can come back later and get my swearing in and then get my passport. Otherwise, I'll have like three business days to get a U.S. passport. I'm really hoping that that doesn't happen. And then on July the 24th, by which point I hope to be a U.S. citizen and also have at least my application for my U.S. passport out there, I will be speaking at A New Hope in uh, New York City, again remotely, and that's the Hackers on Planet Earth conference of uh, 2600 Magazine. So I am doing a lot of writing these days, as ever, working on two books at the moment. One is called Some Men Rob You With a Fountain Pen. That's the second Martin Hench novel. It'll come out after Red Team Blues, which is so far scheduled for early 2023. Although between you, me, and the fence post, I think it's going to be late because my editor's been busy and dealing with family stuff and I don't have my editorial note yet. I just don't think they have enough time to get it out now. So it'll probably be, my guess, mid-2023 at this point. Not sure. And I'm also working on my book, The Internet Con. This is my nonfiction book for Verso, formerly called Seize the Means of Computation, and it's about interoperability. Also finalizing the publicity and launch materials for Chokepoint Capitalism, the book that I co-wrote with Rebecca Giblin, which comes out in late September. So all that's underway. Also getting ready for Burning Man. All in all, lots of stuff on my plate. Anyway, this week, I'm going to read you a recent Medium column, as is my want. It's a column called Against Cozy Catastrophes, and it was spurred by a discussion I had with a friend of mine on Twitter, so never let it be said that good things don't come from Twitter, about whether it's a council of despair to tell people that there's no point in putting their savings in the stock market for their retirement. So without further ado, Against Cozy Catastrophes, from doctoro.medium.com cowering in a luxury bunker is a lousy retirement plan. In 1978, Jimmy Carter's IRS created the 401k retirement program. Prior to this, most Americans had two ways to enjoy a dignified retirement, social security, and employer-provided defined benefits pensions, which guaranteed you a proportion of your final salary every month from your retirement until your death. The 401k was a third way to plan for retirement. You could gamble in the stock market and hope that you weren't the sucker at the table. At first, this was a great deal, 
Between the tax breaks for 401k bets and generous employer matching funds, many workers and unions were convinced to trade their sure thing to find benefits pensions for market-based alternatives. We know how that turned out. The vast majority of American workers have almost nothing saved for their retirements. There's a reason for that. Wages have stagnated since the Carter era, leaving workers with little to no excess cash to invest in their 401ks. Even if you're lucky enough to have saved something, that's no guarantee. Most of us are woefully unqualified to make bets on the stock market. Even if your bets pay off, the deregulation of markets has produced wild, calamitous crashes that offer a stark choice to savers, eviction and hunger or cashing in retirement savings and paying ruinous penalties. Most American households have less than $400 in savings. Meanwhile, Social Security benefits have also stagnated. Unless something changes, millions of younger boomers, Gen Xers, and Millennials will find themselves pushed out of the labor market into decades of retirement, characterized by predatory Medicare drug plans, sky-high rents and routine evictions, immortal student debt, no savings, and sub-starvation Social Security benefits. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you were lucky enough to have excess income. Maybe you were lucky enough to put that excess into sound investments. Maybe you were lucky enough to dodge crises that would have forced you to cash out early. You're still screwed. Remember J. Paul Getty's maxim. If you owe the bank $100, that's your problem. If you owe the bank $100 million, that's the bank's problem. A corollary. When one person lacks retirement savings, that's their problem. When most people lack retirement savings, that's everyone's problem. The people who don't share your good fortune, tens of millions of them, will not reach retirement age and then politely dig themselves some holes, crawl inside them, and pull the dirt down on top of them. Their children, who will be entering their own notional prime earning years just as their parents enter the unnecessariate, will not sit idly by and watch their parents starve, nor will they meekly accept the foreclosure of their life's chances as they are doomed to care for their elders and their own kids at the very moment they are trying to forge their own way. Your retirement savings will not buy you a life of comfort. Rather, at best they will buy you a front seat to the cozy catastrophe— Brian Aldiss's term for a kind of English post-war science fiction tale in which respectable middle-class people barricade themselves inside of walled farms while gangs of proles roam the countryside. Think of John Wyndham's Day of the Triffids or Neville Shoots on the beach. Life in an armed compound, surrounded by your starving and desperate neighbors banging on the gates, is no happy retirement. Not for anyone with a smidgen of empathy, anyway. The only worst fate is being on the other side of the wall clawing at the fence. Retirement is a social problem. Retirement is a social problem, not an individual one. It is one of those parts of our world where our destinies are inextricably bound together, like, say, public health. And as with public health, the attempt at converting a social collective issue into an individual market-based one has been an abject failure. There's a classic con game that goes like this. You get a mysterious phone call from a stranger who gives you a tip on an upcoming professional sporting event. Sure enough, the tipper was right. The day after their prediction comes through, they call you with another one, and that one comes true too. Time and again, four times, five times, the prediction pays off. Finally, the tipster calls you and says, Now you see, I have an inside line on upcoming matches. I have one more tip for you, but it'll cost you. 
remortgage your house, borrow from your friends, and transfer me $100,000, or whatever they think you can lay hands on, and I'll call you back with one final prediction. Here's how that scam works. The con artist makes a lot of calls, 32 on the first prediction, say, and splits his predictions among his marks, telling half of them that one team will win and giving the reverse prediction to the other half. Then he does it again, calling back the 16 marks who got the correct prediction, and once again, he splits his predictions in two. Then he calls back the lucky eight, then the lucky four, then the lucky two. 62 phone calls nets the scammer $100,000 or more. If you're on the receiving end of this scam, if you're the final mark who gets a correct prediction and a big payoff, it can seem like you have just been privy to a remarkable series of shrewd, skilled predictions. But from the outside, it's easy to see that you just got lucky. There are reasonably reliable ways to save for retirement. Put your money in low-fee index funds and don't touch it. But having the money to save, avoiding emergency redemptions, it's pure luck. The members of your community who enter retirement with nothing but medical and student debt aren't unskilled or unworthy. They're unlucky. They're not going to gracefully concede to their misfortune. They, like you, will demand something more. If they don't get it, they will make those demands more forcefully. I am lucky. I have a retirement savings account. Hypothetically, I could see retirement with that fund intact. But I don't kid myself that this means I'll have a fine retirement. I have this savings because the only thing worse than retiring with savings amidst a no-savings retirement crisis is retiring without savings. In other words, I have retirement savings for much the same reason I have health insurance. It's terrible, but its absence is worse. When COVID struck, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick told Tucker Carlson that Elderly people should simply accept the risk of gasping death so that their children and grandchildren could continue to shop and attend sports matches. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the party of life. He didn't get any takers, not among elderly people, nor among the younger people who love them. They understood that we have a shared destiny. They understood that the cozy catastrophe is not very cozy. They understood that surviving the Titanic in a half-empty lifeboat filled with your fellow first-class passengers surrounded by steerage passengers begging for their lives as they tired and drowned is not a happy ending. All right, well, on that upbeat note, I'll talk to you later. Wish me luck on my citizenship interview. I've been drilling with my flashcards every day. I can correctly identify the 10th Amendment. I know how many seats there are in Congress. I am ready to go. I'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Cory Doctor Podcast, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike US 3.0. Or as Woody Guthrie put it in another context, this song is copyrighted in the US under seal of copyright 154085 for a period of 28 years, and anyone caught singing it without our permission will be a mighty good friend of ours, because we don't give a dern. Publish it, write it, sing it, swing to it, yodel it, we wrote it, that's all we wanted to do. Many thanks to John Taylor Williams for mastering. That's Rynex Studio, W-R-Y-N-E-C-K Studio at gmail.com. John Taylor Williams is a full-time self-employed audio engineer, producer, composer, and sound designer. In his free time, he makes beer, jewelry, odd musical instruments, and furniture. He likes to meditate, to read, and to cook. Talk to you next week.